my name is Emily Lehman, and this is In Layman's Terms podcast. All right. Hi, guys. Welcome back to In Layman's Terms podcast. Today, I have Jake Bishop with me. He hosts a radio show about recovery in New York. I'm so excited to have him. We connected over Instagram. How are you today, Jake? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you about your nonprofit and kind of how you got started. And Jake um, became addicted to substances when he was around 13 years old. And Jake, I actually got expelled from school at 14 years old for snorting uh, Vicodin with some guy friends during a football game. So and that was kind of the start of my journey. So um, I feel though my um, I kind of had a pause in my drugs uh, story didn't really take off there. It wasn't until my later 20s where I really fell into uh, my addiction issues. But um, I'm excited to hear your story and kind of how you ended up with a nonprofit and a radio show and doing all this great stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah, I well. I haven't snorted the Vicodin, but I would chew them a lot <laughs> when I was younger. So I couldn't believe how, you know, the access to pills when I was a teenager. You know, everybody just seemed to have a parent who just had, uh, you know, some, some surgery, kind of surgery, had some extra stuff. I had one that had morphine. She's like, oh, yeah, my mom just has it. Uh, if she has a hard day, I'm like, okay. Um, for me, when I was 13, it just, uh, I had vacationed out in Nantucket with my family and I had purchased a flask. I don't know what, I was fascinated with the flask. I was like, oh great, this is cool. Well, obviously I'm gonna have to get some liquor and put it in there. What up? <laughs> and what I ended up putting in was a mixture of like wine and vodka and I think whiskey. So it was a terrible oh. idea. And of course at school, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm hot stuff now, I got a drink. And, uh, but then it became like, I started having a drink before class and then it became like after class and then um it wasn't until about 15 that i really got started heavy where i got introduced to cocaine wow yeah and i, I was like oh that's just so much better than marijuana so much better than drinking i could just carry it with me everywhere it's like <laughs> a pocket filled with a little pocket conference. oh my god yeah terrible I couldn't imagine being exposed to cocaine at 15. I hate to even say that because like I was exposed to like Vicodin, but yeah, it was like that random thing. It was like one kid in my grade, like got mouth surgery and it was like, oh, I have these. Do we want to try them? Like, and I'm like, I don't fucking know what I'm doing. Like, right. That's too bad though. I, I still, you know, I mean, I look at the teenagers now and it seems like it's, just as readily out there if not more so yeah and and almost more accepted in some yeah. ways you know there was a little bit of that taboo excitement because oh i'm the guy that has this or i have that and then just that introduction to somebody else for me i was always interested in being able to uh sell some of it self-confidence was very very low as as outgoing and as happy as i was my self-confidence was just right down in the drain so it allowed me to be able to talk to people and have some sort of position. And then it turned into like, okay, well now I'm 16. All right. Now I'm 17. All right. This is starting to affect my ability to go into class, to hang out with friends, 
now yeah, I just sort of need it to survive. I mean, I couldn't imagine like being able to sustain both. So good for you. Now, did you grow up in LA? No, no. I grew up in um, Ohio in a town in Cincinnati. Okay. So yeah. I feel like if it kind of having that um, exposure to North, Co- you know, East Coast, West Coast, I'm still trying to learn what the trends were for people when they got exposed to it. It feels like East Coast definitely has a lot of it. I mean, especially that age. I don't know if it's the hard winters that we get and it just pushes us to do more. But right. I, I feel like for me, it was definitely the environment that I grew up in. It was I grew up in a pretty like well off community. So I feel like everyone kind of had access to whatever they wanted. Um, and a lot of things were just kind of like swept under the rug. And it was like everyone wanted to maintain this like perfect image where I'm from. Um, so like no one would ever dare like speak. Like, you know, it's like everyone wants to be like the perfect XYZ family. So like when I got kicked out of school at such like a young age, it was like such a big deal. It was like in the newspapers, it was on the news. It was like, Whoa. yeah, it was like just this whole thing. It was just like so ridiculous. One of my parents' friends, like ended up writing like a whole article about me and like the inquire. It was just like so dumb. And I was like so young. And so this this sounds like something I would see on the OC or something. It just was like so ridiculous. And I mean, I get it when I guess something like that happens in kind of like a small community, it like makes waves, obviously. Um, So I feel like I don't know. Like, I feel like I have some friends who like grew up in like New York city. I don't know like what part of New York you're from, but I feel like people from the city also are exposed to a lot of wealth where there's also a lot of access to get access to that stuff. And it's like very easy and very readily accessible. That's interesting. You say that. I think it's, I think it's just because when we look at, it's one of the things I talk about on the radio show. You know, we have a show on 100.9 WXIR in Rochester. Mm-hmm. And one of the things is being in the city there in Rochester, there's a lot of drug trafficking. There's a lot of uh, teens having overdoses right now. And one of the disparities is if you have wealth and you're using drugs, you're going through a hard time. Yep. If you're doing it, but you're coming from an impoverished area, you're most likely becoming a criminal and you're on the pipeline towards prison. So there's a glamour side to it, which I think you and I both sort of felt a little bit or both experienced just because of where we grew up. Now, Rochester, Rochester's over in Western New York. It's over by Ontario. So there's a mix of areas, Mm -hmm. um, like they're a little more affluent. And I think people are like, oh, he's having a hard time. He's having a difficult there, you know, difficult time going through it. We'll we'll have him talk to a counselor. Phototherapy. That was like literally my punishment from school was like I had to go see a therapist. It was like demanded by the state that I like see a therapist, take like so many drug tests, like, you know, like all this stuff. Oh boy. Yeah. And I don't know if, if you've seen this, that there's a difference between the way men are treated or, you know, or women are treated when they have an addiction. You know, I, I feel like sometimes um, for women, it looks more like a victim role, men possibly being a little bit worse because they're looked at, you know, like, why are you getting into it? What kind of harm are you causing to other people? Yeah. And that's like with my podcast, I'm 
I'm really doing this to really try to break down the stigma that surrounds addiction and just like everything that goes along with it, because I feel like it's so stigmatized and like you said, it so perfectly. So that's something I'm really excited to open up on this podcast, the dialogue about this and people's experiences with that, because I think it's so important. It's, it's not spoken about really. And it is people just assume like, Oh, you, you do come for money. Oh, they must just like be having a hard time. Like, like that doesn't, that's not fucking fair. That's not how it works. Like for me, it was like, I had, um, enjoyed a lot of the, the comforts of being able to use because I was in high school, I would come home, go out, get some, and it was just taken care of. But then around 17, where that point where I had not graduated, I'm like, oh, this is getting a little little trickier. And then 18, and then 19, but during the, those years between 17 and 19, I was beginning to have more contacts with people. I was buying more cocaine, but I was using just as much and eventually became misdemeanors until it worked up the felonies. And I'm thinking, all right, how much worse can this get? During that time, I developed a reputation for, you know, DWIs, fighting with cops. Mm-hmm. It was not something I wanted. My family was not having it at all. Sure. Uh, and I was kind of initiated into a uh, bigger criminal element, and I was started trafficking narcotics. Mm-hmm. which was perfect because it gave me that excitement. It gave me a lot of money, it gave, but I didn't realize that it really is almost like a job. It is a job. You know, people like to say it with this glamour and, you know, make it look like it's, uh, you know, cinematic in a way. It is definitely not. I was traveling for, from uh, New York, California. So I'd be on the road and I was coming back into South Dakota in 2015 and I was arrested for a trafficking distribution of 133 pounds. Wow. South Dakota is the <laughs> is one of the worst places to get arrested. Get arrested. I had, uh, <laughs> oh my God. I remember this giant sign that I would see, and it would say, it was huge. It would say, Greetings from South Dakota. If mm. you are trafficking drugs right now, be prepared to spend the next 30 years as our guest in the people. And I, I think I would I would drive past there and I would do like a little <laughs> mm. all right, well, good for you. I feel you bad on my way back. <laughs> and then uh then one day when well, one time through there, I was like, oh no, no, it's real. I'm getting arrested. Getting arrested. I uh I had this great attorney, his name's Tim Wrench. I asked the um, I asked the bail bondsman. I said, "So who's the best guy?" He's like, "Oh, he's on the phone book that you're using to call me with." And it was one of those attorneys. That I'm like, "Oh, oh, right there." And of course, he owned everything. He had a restaurant. He had a, even the my car that was an impound. He owned the parking lot. Oh my uh, god! Wow. Like, of course, this works out. So they uh, it worked for thirty years. And then they say, "So I can make a deal. You don't do any time." I said, "Well, I'm not giving any information." And then it became seven years. Okay. And he said, well, given your record, you have no felonies. It turns out I did have felonies. I just, you know, the judge never looked into it. Mm-hmm. So I did two years on that. So I actually came wow. one, year, one year, eight months, 15 days. And uh, I, I like to say that I'm a reformed felon. Mm-hmm. Because I've tried to be active in the community and tell people, you know, is fun i'm not gonna lie it was fun as exciting but just as kind of gruesome and gritty it, it could get 
Yeah. I was very sure when I came back to New York that um, I would not be around for long. And I had nothing. I had paid $50,000 in uh, attorney's fees, an extra $10,000, not to mention uh, that much marijuana is worth like $420,000. So I had like zip, nothing. And I came back. Of course, my family, I'm like, well, I'm back. I Here I am. That, I'm uh, back. Oh, you changed the bedroom now around. Okay. And they're like, no, that's, you've got to get yourself on your way and do something. And then it became like, um, I took a trip down to St. Louis. I said, I'm going to go to St. Louis. I only had my car, the clothes on my back, mm -hmm. a couple suits. And I just started trying to find work and it worked out for a while. But I'm sure, as you know, there's no geographical solution to an emotional problem. I was the same me, maybe worse. In a different place. Desperate. Yeah. Yeah. And it turned to something darker. Um, I mean, it wasn't until a little bit later. I worked for the boss of the Iron Workers Union in Little Italy. And uh, it was a great gig, and, but he had ALS. He was diagnosed the very oh, first day. Oh, no. The very first day I met him, he was like, I need you to take me down to the hospital. Be in, uh, no thing. You just come in here. He said, you pick me up. And the, he said, well, I've got the baseball disease. I'm like, what? Yeah, Lou Gehrig. Lou Gehrig disease. I'm like, I think I was like, uh, Mr. Minotti, I think I should, I think you should check this out with the doctors. Nah, no, no, no. Let's go get somebody. I'm like, okay. And then for about a year and a half, I stayed with him uh, almost as his driver, nursemaid, everything. Wow. But uh, as soon as he passed away, I, I felt like I had nothing and I fell right back into addiction. Ten times worse. Yeah, that was definitely a trigger, like, to set you off. That's, yeah. Big time. And I think that's why it's such a motivation for me now to share with people and talk about the experiences and be able to be open about it and say, I would like you to learn. I'm telling you my narrative because it's not great. It is. It can be interesting. But I'm hoping you just don't follow through the same steps. Yeah, and learn from your mistakes. But hopefully. <laughs> the hope, right? I, I, yeah. So when you fell, when you relapsed back into drugs, what was your drug of choice during that time? Well, it was cocaine at first because I was working at this beautiful nightclub right downtown. It was a bar, and you know, my thing was I love to talk to people. You know, throw in a suit, and they they were just like, "Oh, you just want to you want to talk, get out there with the people." I was working seventy hours. Wow. You know, the two, yeah, and they were, but I would break my back for them. But that energy came from a lot of cocaine use, and not just the fact that it was cocaine. It was also if you're in the industry, you know, you get drinks for free. So oh yeah, when you're you in there, yeah. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, hey, listen, you're from over from uh, you know the cafe." I'm like, "Yeah, absolutely." Afterwards, it turned. I got a uh, roommate who smoked crack cocaine. Oh, he shit. was in construction. He was making tons of money, but it would all go towards uh, to crack. And I thought, "Oh, I was like, that's disgusting." I was like, "I'll never do that. That's uh, that's absurd." You know, I, how could I picture myself doing that? And uh, they say, if you're in the barbershop long enough, you're going to get a haircut. So <laughs> I had just come to a, Mex I just went to a Mexican restaurant. I had this giant glass of, I don't know, tequila, some sort of margarita mix. Oh, geez. 
And I, I was like, shoot, I can't get in touch with my, my dealer. I can't get any Coke to get me back up before work. Yeah. Like, you know what I'll do? I'll go see my roommate real quick oh, no. and, and try it. Yeah. <laughs> and I did. And I thought uh, something had been ignited in my addiction that was so strong. Uh, it, it became, it, it just became my natural, uh, the, the natural order of things for me. Drink heavy, do some cocaine, smoke some cocaine, and then go to the club and then hang out until six o'clock in the morning at different bars. And do it all over again the next day. Hopefully. That was the, right. <laughs> that was, that Not really. Yeah. And then, uh, I came back, I, I did that. And then one day I had my check for about 1500 bucks and I looked at it and I'm like, I got to go home. So I did. Mm-hmm. I just said, because if I don't do that, I'm going to spend all this money on partying and going out. And I came home. I came back to Rochester. I was kind of embarrassed to come back. It's it's a good city, but it's a small city, too. That's where um, I'm from, too. It's small. Everyone knows everyone. <laughs> and, you know, my family had been in the restaurant business. So, you know, everybody knew me from being over there. But I'd also been arrested a lot publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, so coming back, I sort of just hung out by by myself I went for runs around the canal by my house mm-hmm. and then um I was like I really need some support so I ended up adopting Allie mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah she's a sweetheart German shepherd just like yours I know yeah Remington is like scratching and being obnoxious at the moment but yeah they're the best I rescued mine as well and actually during my during my drug addiction I uh, was living with someone at the time and we'd adopted a German shepherd and his name was Cooper and we'd had him for almost five years. And I, the person and I were not seeing each other at the time and the dog was with him and ended up getting hit by a car. Mm-hmm. He wasn't paying attention. I'm assuming he was like high on drugs. The story that I was told and everything, just like nothing ever added added up. But so I've been waiting for the longest time to get another dog. And over the COVID like pandemic, whatever, like I adopted Remington, who is behind oh. me, but The funny thing is, is that when I adopted him, the family who gave him back had named him Cooper. So when I went to pick him up to adopt him, they were like, here, this is Cooper, like blah, blah. And I like looked at my boyfriend and I was like, you have to be fucking kidding me. And I like just started crying because it's like, I've been waiting like four or five years, like get another dog. Like what are the chances? Like another German shepherd with like my last dog's name. And it's just been like such a blessing and he's so great. And so rescue dogs are just like the fucking best. And having a dog is just like such a great companion. I feel like they're I just can't believe people give them up. They're like I know. German shepherds. So I was told that Allie was food aggressive, that she would tear stuff apart when they left. Mm-hmm. And then she wouldn't even go near her food unless I put my hand in her bowl. And just yeah. And then, and then when I left, I kept a little video of her. She mm-hmm. jumped up on the furniture, but she didn't tear anything up. She loves tissue boxes. She loves getting into that. So does that's it. He was just eating <laughs> tissues. <laughs> <laughs> But she eventually, you know, she she went out with me for like two to three walks a day when I got her. And I was just like, 
all right, we'll keep going for walks because, you know, recovery, sobriety is, is wonderful and as you know, inspiring as people make it out to be. It's kind of boring when you get into it. Mm-hmm. You just sort of have to get used to yourself. Your new normal. Yeah, even after all this time, I still am trying to remember who I was before. Yeah. And they say that, you know, whenever your first use was, that's your age. I'm like, there's no way I'm a 13-year-old kid driving around Rochester, you know, like living on my, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. But uh, I had gotten in touch with um, this guy, Tony Gingello and his family. Uh, I, I, I knew Tony from before, um, like 2008, 2010. And uh, Tony's family, um, it was all very, you know, his, his uh, uncle was this big, big time guy in the mafia. Mm-hmm. Uh, Salvatore Gingello, and the big story about him was he was blown up in a car bomb. Oh, shit. And when the cops found him and he was still alive, his two bodyguards were in, were in the live in the back. Stop. He like, yeah, he had been blown up terribly, and the cops were like, listen, we, we're going to get you to the, you know, the hospital. And uh, his uncle gave him the finger and told him, he said, you know, like, you know, keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah. And like, and so, you know, Tony to me had been one of these guy, older guys where I'm like, wow, like, Tony's, you know, Tony's a big deal, but he'd reformed his life too. He was known for gambling and, you know, joints. And uh, I found out that he had a radio show and I thought, oh, that's really cool. He invited me on. And uh, Tony's got a very deep, hey, Jake, we're going to get you on the show. We're going to have you talk about a couple things. And I was like, all right, if that's what you'd like to do. And then it, he said, uh, is there any way you can get some people to come on the show? And I said, sure. So it turned into uh, the mayor of Pittsburgh, which is a uh, nice little suburb over here. And then it became this guy, Jeremy Cooney, who just ran, ran for state senate and won. He, he legalized marijuana here. And then it was like awesome. healthcare workers and community activists. I'm like, hey, we should do this every week. So we yeah. did. And and at one point he said, listen, Jake, I really want to give back. Is there any way we could, you know, help the community? So we started handing out stuff to homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, stuff, you know, former substance users came out with us and it really took off. And eventually it got to the point where I said, I'd like to become involved with this professionally. We made a nonprofit. We did it for about a year and a half. And um, this Baden Street Settlement which is where I work now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're the oldest nonprofit in Rochester. And they reached out and they said, can we hire you? I'm like, sure. Hell yeah. I was like, I don't have too much experience in this. And they're like, well, you, you do. You said, you know the city, you know the people. Mm-hmm. And we're going to put you in care management. And so uh, in May, it's going to be three, 10 months. But it feels That's like it's great. been a long time. Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of fun. And I love Baden Street because it's a... Uh, it's small, but we're building big right now. And my department is human trafficking. So right now I've been the intern oh, wow. uh, running that. And it's it's a humbling experience when you get to meet some of these women. I uh, can't even imagine. Wow. There's a big, it sounds like there's a big mystery of human trafficking. And it's like, well, they must be from the border and stuff. No, a lot of these women no. from like right here, they just got hooked up with some guys that... I think people have this idea in their head, like it must be some sort of schlubby looking guy. It's not often. Often it's the opposite. It's somebody who's attractive or like very normal, charismatic that gets involved with them. And they're like, oh, this is so much better than this little town or this is, you know, 
sure, I'd love to go with you in your cool car. And yeah. it just takes off from there. So I'm, I'm really happy that, you know, you get to see some turnaround for people who have spent their, well, I'd say 15 years old, 14 years old. Some clients have been in 15 years. Wow, how chance. rewarding, though. That must be to yeah, be a part of that. That's and cool. Allie gets to meet them. And she's not. <laughs> That's probably one of the best parts. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> I'm really happy that you got to have me share a little bit about this on the podcast. I've been I've been excited to tell everybody about it, too. And Yeah, I know. I'm so glad to have you and that you got to tell your story and like being so open about it. And this was awesome. Well, if anybody's having any struggles, you know, do not depend on saying that you're, you know, you could get through it on your own. One of the best things I give you for advice is listen, be patient and reach out, you know, there's only so much people can do if they see you, but they're not gonna be able to help you unless you say those words, you know, I'm in trouble and I need some help. So definitely give a shout out to any places, call your local numbers. We have two in one here in Rochester. You call them up for support or even better, you're on people on their phones all the time. Just look it up, find somebody on YouTube that really inspires you and start from there. Yeah, that's great advice. And also my DMs are always open if anyone is needing an outlet or anything like that. And this was so great to connect. It's crazy what social media can do. It's just like (laughs) wild. But okay, guys, thank you for tuning in. Once again, this is Jake Bishop from Rochester, New York. Thank you for joining us today on this episode. And hopefully we could put this lesson into layman's terms. See you guys next episode.